Every single time I come out with you, it feels like we're with family. So you guys are a huge encouragement to me, Megan, and uh, little Naomi. So I'm happy to be back with you. I'm happy we're back with you. Tonight, uh, I just want to open up God's word with you again and encourage you. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 35 through 38. Chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And like I said last night, I'm a little old school. So will you guys mind, if you can, standing in honor of the reading of God's holy and perfect word. This is what God's word says, starting at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a night like this where we gather, um, not just to talk about the theory of missions, but to truly celebrate that you are doing something in the nations and you're doing something here in our heart, Lord. Um, as we just spend time um, being encouraged from your word, would we be encouraged where we need to be encouraged? Would we be convicted where we need to be convicted? But Father, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, would we have a big picture of you? Would we fall more in love with your son? Would we see how the Spirit is here to help us to live for you and engage in the mission? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Uh, like Pastor Will said, if you don't know me, my name is JR. I'm part of a pastor at City Light Church, the planting pastor of the church plant you guys have supported and just so grateful for you all. Um, last night I talked about how our time together this weekend, I wanted to take um, a big picture and then a small picture approach to talking about um, missions, specifically even domestic missions. How do we look at outreach and reaching um, the panhandle in our city and our town? And last night we talked about the main goal of missions, which is the glory of Jesus. We're talking about missions is us proclaiming a glorious and beautiful and powerful Savior. Um, tonight, though, I want to get a little bit more specific, and I want to talk about the call of missions. What, what exactly is the call of missions as we engage as local churches? And really the call of missions is simple. I think when we look at um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, the call of missions is for us to embrace something called uh, missional living. Missional living. And at City Light, we, we use this terminology a lot, but let me give you a, a quick definition of what missional living is. If you wanted to define missional living, you can define it like this. Missional living is sharing the gospel and our very selves with people sharing the gospel and our lives, our very selves, with people. And the reason why missional living is so important when we talk about missions abroad, but also specifically here domestically in our area and in our homes and cities, um, is because whether you realize it or not, every single person in this room is a product of missional living. If you're here tonight, you are a product of missions of people sharing the gospel and their very lives with you. Now, I stand before you tonight as a product of two men sharing the gospel and their very lives um, with me. 
You know, uh, the first guy who, to really share the gospel with me was, was my dad. Uh, moved from Mexico to El Paso and then from El Paso to Amarillo. And he became a Christian in Amarillo and then I was born. And ever since I was born, he never stopped talking about Jesus to me sharing the gospel, telling me about what Jesus had done for him. But not only did he talk about it, he, he walked the walk. He also lived out the gospel to me. I remember it blew my mind when I was a kid that when I would get in trouble for something that I didn't do or, or something like that, he would actually come to me and apologize. He'd say, hey, I, I want to ask for your forgiveness. And you don't really see that in Latino homes. And so I was kind of like, what is going on here? And he'd be like, you know, because Jesus forgave me. And now he calls me to ask for forgiveness from others because he's forgiven me. And so I want to ask for your forgiveness. So he lived out the gospel. He was a living representation of the gospel uh, to me. You know, another guy to share the gospel with me and really live out the gospel was my youth pastor at high school. Um, he didn't just talk about the gospel. He tried to insert himself into my life. He wanted to be a presence in my life. Even when I didn't want nothing to do with church or Jesus or the gospel or anything, he didn't give up on me. He didn't push me away. In fact, he would say, hey, man, let's go get lunch. Hey, how you doing? How can I pray for you? What, what's going on in your life? He was a living representation of the gospel to my life. These were some of the means by which God used to save me. And now I stand before you today because people were very missional with me. They shared the gospel and their lives. And the thing about missional living is that we get to see the beautiful truth that God is working and saving people. He's, his plan since the beginning, since the very beginning of Genesis was to save broken and messed up people through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And it's through that mission that he actually invites you and I, those he saves, into the mission himself. Missional living is so beautiful because as we engage in the mission, as we engage in missional living, we get to see texts like Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, come to life before our very eyes. I mean, have you ever heard this text before? It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us while, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thinking about missions domestically, thinking about missions locally, all for, incorporates something called missional living, us engaging in missional living. So big idea today or tonight is very simple. The call of missions is to embrace missional living. Call of missions is to embrace missional living. And so what our text is gonna do though is answer the question, how? Well, yeah, we, we see it from God's word that we're supposed to embrace this call to engage in the mission and to be part of what Jesus is doing, what God is doing. But how do we do that? Well, I think our text gives us some really good ways to do that. If we look at our text, we engage in missional living in three ways. By seeing, by feeling, and by praying. So seeing, feeling, and praying. Now, let's just get into it. So let's start with that first one. We engage in missional living. We embrace missional living by, by seeing. I want to point out verse 35 to you again. So let me reread verse 35 to you real quick. So follow along with me. Verse 35 says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So in the beginning of this text, we see that um, Matthew's, the author Matthew is describing to us what Jesus was doing in his ministry, what his earthly ministry looked like. And what he's trying to get across to us, I think, is, is that he's trying to show us that the main goal of Jesus' mission was to proclaim and engage people with the gospel. He wanted to engage people with the good news that he was the king of the universe. And even though we as humans, it's our natural inclination to reject God and to live for ourselves, the good news of the gospel is that the king has come and he came to fix that. That through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, he saves broken people like you and me, broken and guilty sinners, and brings us from death and to new life. So that way we can enjoy peace and satisfaction living for Jesus and not living for ourselves. That was what Jesus was doing as he engaged people, as he proclaimed the gospel. That was his mission, and that we got to see it here while he was on earth. Well, he takes this idea, Matthew takes this idea, and look how it kind of carries over into chapter 10. If you read chapter 10, verse 1, and then verses 5 through 8, you'll see kind of what Matthew's doing here. Let me just read it to you real quick. Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 1, and then let me read to you verses 5 and 8. It says this, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter into no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Now, we could spend weeks talking about everything that was in those texts and everything in those verses. But I want to point something out to you. I wonder if you noticed. We read verse uh, 35 of chapter 9, and then we just read these verses in chapter 10. Do you notice that everything Jesus was telling his disciples to do was everything that he was doing? That the mission he was sending them out on wasn't nothing necessarily new or reinventing the wheel. He literally was telling them to do exactly what he was doing as he ministered. What I think Matthew's trying to show us, the author of the text here is trying to show us, is something very simple and yet profound. What he was trying to show us is that Jesus was basically telling his disciples, my mission is now your mission. He goes, my mission to proclaim and engage people with the gospel is now your mission as my disciples. And you see, what I love that the text is doing is that it's showing us is that missional living isn't, not, isn't something new. It's not something we invented. It's nothing liberty invented. It's nothing that Pastor Will and Pastor Matt invented. Um, it was Christ's mission first. It belonged to him. And when we engage in missional living, what we're doing is we're actually engaging with the beautiful truth that Christ has invited us into his mission. Missional living is not a burden. It's nothing crazy like that. It's actually a blessing because we are taking part of Christ's mission to seek and save the, lo the lost. It's not political. It's not ph philosophical. It's not academic. No, it's none of those things. It is completely from Jesus himself. 
It is Jesus telling you and I, those who've been saved, he's saying, my mission is now your mission. So let's just apply all that. Let me ask you a question. In what sphere of your life can you embrace Jesus' statement, my mission is now your mission? In what sphere of your life can you embrace this beautiful truth that Christ has invited us into his mission? He's invited us into missional living. Your work, school, family, relationships, whatever. Where can um, you embrace this reality that Christ has now, since he has saved you, immobilized you and traded you into an agent of the gospel? have brought you into this mission. Now, I think we need to ask ourselves this question because our typical inclination, though, is not to understand ourselves and to see ourselves as um, ambassadors for Jesus, as part of the mission. Instead, our inclination is probably to to identify and to prioritize the side missions of our lives. You know, our work, our relationships, all these other things. and please hear me out. I'm not saying that, that your job and your family are not important things. I'm not saying that you should put those things to the side. But what I am saying is that because Christ has saved you, because Christ has now called you into his mission, all those things are now seen to be leveraged for the gospel. Now you can utilize those things as you are an agent of the gospel everywhere you go. You know, I think one of the best examples I ever saw was my dad. You know, like I told you, he became a Christian. Um, we were born. He took us to church. He showed us the gospel. Crazy enough, though, I got to see it in real life outside of the church. You know, he, was, uh, he started his own plumbing company in Amarillo, a hard worker. And as I was growing up, I got to go work with him. And so in the summers, it was hot. We were out there digging ditches. We were installing water systems. We were doing a lot of things. I was also doing HVAC and going into the attic crazy and on Fridays was my favorite time of the week because it was payday we got paid I was so happy and I remember growing up that we get paid and the first thing one of the first things we would do is that people who were out of work in the church or people he knew that didn't have work we'd go buy groceries and take it to them now I'm 12 13 years old I'm being really selfish at the moment I'm telling my dad like what are you doing it's our money we worked for it, man. They weren't out there in the, in the hot sun. We were. Why, why, why are we spending the money already? And man, he looked at me and he said, you, you don't get it. I'm not just a plumber. I'm a Christian. God has saved me. Jesus saved me. And now I can leverage my job in order to bless others. I can leverage my job to be a representation of Christ's love to them so they can actually have someone in their life that is being a representation of the gospel and in and, and the representation of Christ's love. He goes, I'm not just a plumber. I, I represent Jesus. See, what he had done there is that he had flipped what the, what the typical way of thinking was. He said, no, I'm a believer first. I'm a missionary of Jesus first, and then I'm a plumber. And I can actually use my vocation for the glory of Jesus, leverage it for the gospel. Liberty, I, I really want to encourage you tonight. Whatever your calling in life is, however God has positioned your life, you are primarily and first and foremost an ambassador of Jesus. 
How can you leverage that for the glory of the gospel? How can you leverage that to be an ambassador of the good news that Christ has now given you his mission and you live on mission now for Jesus? How can you leverage it? Just think about it. Okay, so we engage in missional living first by seeing, seeing that Christ has invited us in to his mission. But the next way we engage is, is through feeling. Allow me to read to you a quick verse 36. Follow along. In chapter 9, verse 36, it says this. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What I love about this verse is that it gives us a high definition, an HD look at what was going on um, in the mind uh, of Jesus. And when we look at the text, it says that as he was engaging with the crowds, as he was proclaiming the gospel, he had compassion for the crowds, compassion for the people he was engaging with the gospel. And I think we need to pay attention to that word compassion. It's, It's not like what we typically think of in the West, you know, like, oh, compassion, yeah, I feel sympathetic for you, I feel for you a little bit. Um, In the Bible, the word compassion actually refers more to your kidney. So it's kind of like this deep guts in your kidneys, this deep feeling you have for someone. It's this deep, heartbreaking compassion Jesus had. Uh, You could literally translate it as Jesus' heart broke for the people. See, when Jesus engaged with the people, it wasn't like this cold, distant type of thing. He really felt for the people he was engaging with. His heart broke for them. Now, I think the logical question there is why? What could cause Jesus' heart to break like that? Well, I mean, if you look through the rest of the verse, it says that he saw that the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I think if we want to see the depth of what it's saying there, we've got to focus in on that phrase, uh, sheep without a shepherd. That phrase actually comes from the Old Testament, and it was used to describe uh, one of two realities. In one instance, when the Old Testament would use that phrase, it would describe um, God's relationship with his people and how a majority of the time they had rejected God, that they had just indulged in their sins and they needed to be made right with God. So the, the Old Testament would say they're like sheep without a shepherd. But in the other instances that the Old Testament would use this phrase, it would describe when God's people were suffering, living in a world broken by sin, that when they were living under horrible leaders in the world, they were in bondage and captivity and the world was just rough and broken around them. The OT, the Old Testament would say that they're like sheep without, without a shepherd. And when we see that, what we're seeing is that Jesus' heart, he broke for them holistically. He felt for them. He had compassion for them holistically. See, Jesus didn't just see them as people who were um, sinners in need of redemption, but he also saw the brokenness of their lives. He didn't just see them as people who needed um, better education and more food. He also saw them as people who were separated from God and needed to be saved. See, he had this holistic breaking for them and that's why he saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and i and i want to put before you tonight that if we are going to engage in mission if we're going to engage in missional living we have to have a gospel compassion in us 
we have to have gospel compassion for the people. And, and gospel compassion goes beyond just feeling sympathetic for people, feeling bad for them. No, it's holistically seeing their brokenness and then holistically engaging to meet that brokenness, to help that brokenness. I mean, Jesus was the best example of this. He saw humanity broken in their sin. He saw the people um, lost in their sin and he came to engage that. But while he came to proclaim the gospel, he also came to show the power of the gospel by helping to meet their need. Jesus showed gospel compassion to the people and we are called to show gospel compassion to the people. Missional living powerfully involves having our hearts break for the people holistically powerfully involves gospel compassion so i think the text would ask would kind of call us to to apply this in a particular way i think a question i want to ask you now is who does your heart need to break for who does god need to break your heart for who who has god where has god placed you and who are the people around you that your heart needs to have some gospel compassion for you know i think that's a hard question because we're like well how how do i how do i have that in my life how does that get produced in my life how does my heart break for the people that are around me well i think one of two ways god can produce gospel um compassion in your life i think one of the ways is when you turn that into a prayer request when we get on our knees, when we come before God in prayer and say, God, I need you to break my heart for the people of Dalhart. I need you to break my heart for my neighbor. I need you to break my heart for people around me so I can engage in the mission, so I can have missional living. I mean, I've, I've felt this. I've experienced this myself, actually, that um, about a year ago after we launched the church, we began praying this as a staff and with our leaders. And I saw it happen to me this past July um, we had an outreach at the government-subsidized apartments that are down the street from us at City Light. It was an amazing, amazing um, outreach. We had pretty much the whole complex come out. We had water, ha- we had a water bouncy house. We did food. We fed the people, and we had chances to pray with people and share the gospel. And um, one lady came out, and I had a chance to pray with her. And she was a recovering drug addict that was trying to get her life, you know, solid and stable so she could get her kids back from from foster care. But the crazy thing was is that my heart began to break for her. She sh- shared her story and we got to pray. It was the Lord working as we got to introduce and connect with these people. It was, it was crazy that the Lord was working to, to break our hearts for the people. And it's from there, and as we got to meet these people and see who, how they were just broken and needing a savior, how they were broken and needing love and care for now, now we're doing outreach in the, in the elementary school, Oakdale. We're continuing with that July outreach we just did. We're, we're doing our Easter outreach. We're going to comb the neighborhood again and invite people. But I'm telling you, all of that wasn't produced through strategic planning or just great ideas. It was first and primarily produced by God pro- breaking our hearts in prayer for the people around us. Make it a prayer request. Another way, though, that God can, can produce gospel compassion in your life is simply just through hospitality. Allowing people into your life, allow you going in and being part of other people's lives. Uh, for those of you who missed last night, uh, pa- Pastor Carlos Perez, he gave us an update about Primera. 
And I was really encouraged and it really hit me hard when he talked about how in his secular job, he began really engaging with people. And one thing that broke his heart was seeing that, man, there's so many people in Dalhart. And he wasn't just talking about Latinos. He's talking about all people. There's so many people in Dalhart that are hurting, that need to be loved. His heart broke for Dalhart in new and unique ways simply because he had begun engaging with people in his secular job. He had seen the beginning to get to know people and his heart broke for them. See, when you open yourselves up, when you open your homes up, when you open your, your relational lives up to people, the Lord will break your heart for them. He will use hospitality to break your heart for those who are around you. Liberty, no matter what you're called to, no matter what your vocation is, we're all called to missional living. And one of the most powerful ways we engage in that mission is when the Lord breaks our heart for the people who are around us. Whether through prayer, through hospitality, mission is fueled through your heart breaking for those who are right next to you. So we engage in missional living with seeing. We engage in missional living through feeling. But the last way in our text is, is through praying. Praying, and we just mentioned, is one of the ways we engage in missional living. Let me read to you the last two verses of our text. Verses 37 38, it says this. Then he, Jesus, said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, in this last part of the, of the text, Jesus challenges the disciples, his disciples, to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And once again, he's using a lot of Old Testament imagery here. In the Old Testament, the harvest concept is very unique. In the Old Testament, when we hear about harvest, it usually refers to judgment. Like people have sown their sins. They, they have just been against God and he, he's going to come. The day of the Lord's coming, judgment strikes. Harvest is ready. Harvest is ripe for judgment. But in this text and how Jesus has been describing the people he's been engaging with, I don't think he's talking about judgment here. I don't think the text would support the judgment concept right now. What I think Jesus is doing is he's bringing up this harvest imagery. He's bringing up this harvest, harvest stuff from the Old Testament. What he's doing is he's showing us that in Christ, we get the full picture of what the harvest actually is. We get the full picture and the full realization of the harvest with Jesus. You see, with Jesus, harvest isn't about judgment because in Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, he absorbs the eternal judgment that we deserve. With Jesus, the harvest now refers to the people. The harvest, the full picture is the people that God wants to bring into the kingdom, the people, the broken and lost people that he's calling into his kingdom. He's, Jesus is telling the disciples the harvest is ready. There are people ready to hear the gospel the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So with this in mind, this challenge to pray, I think it's supposed to hit us um, on one of two levels. So the first level, the, the challenge to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to pray to the harvest, um, to pray about the harvest, I think what that's meant to do is meant to reorient our prayers. What Jesus is challenging disciples is don't just pray personal prayers. Pray missional prayers. Pray mission-based prayers. 
Pray that the Lord would save people. Pray and think about those who are around you. Pray that the, that the harvest, that God would send workers into the harvest. Pray for the mission. You know, I love, and if you want an example of this, my pastor showed me this in Philly. If you want to do missional prayers, it could be as simple as taking a text of scripture, praying it for those that don't know Jesus. So you could take Psalm 23. And when you pray it, don't just pray saying, Lord, I thank you that you're my shepherd, that you lead me through the valley of shadow of death. You, I shall fear no evil. You are with me. Um, you help me understand the comfort of you leading me to still pasture, green pastures and still waters. Um, you could pray that, but also make sure to pray for those who don't know Jesus as their shepherd. Would you pray, Father, my, my cousin, my, my family member, my coworker, my friend, my neighbor, would they get to know you? as their shepherd? Would they know the peace that comes from your forgiveness, the peace that comes from you leading them to green pastures and still waters? The prayers are not just for us. Pray missional prayers. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. But also too, the the challenge to prayer is not just to reorient the prayers there, but I think it also means that it's a challenge to grow in dependency on God. Prayer, at City Light we say like this, prayer is the language of dependency. It's us crying out saying, God, we can't do this. Only you can. Do you, I mean, do you notice in the text where he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest? He's talking about God there. See, Jesus is saying, is teaching us in the text that God is not only the, the Lord of creation and heaven and earth. Jesus is not only the Lord of, of all the cosmos and the stars and all of nature. He's also the Lord of salvation. That when we talk about people being saved, what Brian was talking about, what uh, Pastor Carlos was talking about, what we were talking about all this time, it's not that uh, saving people are saved through strategic planning or just great conversation and arguments. No, Jesus is the one that saves them. Jesus is the one saving people through his life, death, and resurrection, through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that truth is meant to free us. It's meant to mobilize us to engage in the mission, knowing it doesn't rely solely on us. It's the Lord of the harvest working to save souls. Because I, I really do believe that part of our missional paralysis, part of our, the thing that paralyzes us as we engage on the mission is to be like, man, I'm going to screw this up. I'm not trained. I don't know exactly. What happens if they ask me a hard question? What, you know, what happens if, if, I, if I say the wrong thing? family to remind you you're not the one who saves people jesus is the one who saves people and that beautiful reminder allows us to be mobilized and to engage in missional living missional living part of it involves not just seeing not just feeling but but praying so last question for you what would it look like for you to engage in missional living? What would it look like for you to embrace missional living in your life? Now, think about it, write it down. You have the whole, we have the whole mission conference to be really reflecting on this. Um, but, you know, when I think about it, I think some of the hard part for me is I just get, just get this, this heavy burden in some sense. You know, I think about one person I've been sharing the gospel with a lot is my barber in Amarillo lives close to City Light, been inviting him like crazy, him and his family. And I think some of the, the hardship for me is that I engage. I'm like, man, 
have I said the right stuff? Am I, am I saying things well? Am I, am I, am I going to ruin all of this by, you know, asking um, the wrong question or if I answered things correctly? And it gets discouraging. But I want to remind you, as, as the text has reminded me, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. God is the Lord of the harvest. What you guys are doing here at Liberty, as you engage in the mission, whether it's long-term, short-term, whatever it is, as you've engaged abroad, domestically, all of it, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's the one working. It relies on him. You are invited. It's like a cosmic bring your kid to work day. It is amazing. And so now you are freed up to engage because it doesn't rely on you. The, The burden's off of you. Jesus is the one saving people and you're free to engage people on mission, in your lives, where you're at, wherever God has placed you, you can engage in missional living. So to end, allow me to just kind of bring this all together. Like Jesus said right here, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Liberty, you are called into something bigger than yourself. You're called into something great. And the greatest part, it doesn't rely on you. Missions is so amazing, but yet it's also so simple. It's about the glory of God and simply put, your call is just to take part of it however God has placed it for you. Wherever he's put you, wherever, how you can engage, whether it's through your support, whether it's through your prayers, no matter what it is there, you're called to engage in missional living, sharing the gospel and your very lives with other people. And it's all possible. There's such a bright future with it because it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. So Liberty, let's be a family who sees the calling that we have on our lives. Let's be a family who engages in missional living. Amen? Let's let's pray. Father, your word is so sweet. We're so guilty of getting our lives um, focused on ourselves. We're so guilty of, of missing the point, but yet every single person in this world, in this, li- in this room right now, um, is a product of mission. Because you called specific people to missional living that reached out to us. Now we, everyone in this room um, who calls himself a Christian, we were saved and now you have mobilized us to engage others with the mission. Forgive us for missing that point. And Father, help us as we think about this. Help us to see that whatever you mission field you've called us to, um, as we even think about this domestically, you've put us there as agents of your gospel. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. Help us pray about this. Help us feel compassion for those around us. Help us see that you've given us something so amazing because it doesn't come from the world. It comes from Jesus, your son himself. It is your mission you've called us to, Lord. It's in your name we pray.